Welcome to Clement Insiders, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of Europe's Clement Tech Revolution, brought to you by Clementum Capital. I'm Johan Berno, a general partner at Clementum, and I'll be your host. In each episode, I'll have one of Europe's top founders and investors, and we will try to understand how they think about climate, what has led to their success, and what are the best insights they can share with you to accelerate your climate journey. There will be a lot of terrific guests on this show, and we won't shy away from spikes, secrets, and contrarian views. To make sure you don't miss out on any episode and access all the insights, you can subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Hey guys, our guest today is Hampus Jakobsson, a general partner at Pale Blue Dot, a Swedish seed-stage climate tech fund investing in startups, that reduce and reverse the effects of climate change. He was previously at Blue Yard, and before that, an angel with more than 100 angel investments. And before that, a serial founder. Hampus has a ton of insights to share. This is gonna be an epic conversation. We go from um, tricks and tips to fundraise your first time fund, to what kind of investment to run, the reality of and difficulties between raising a fund versus raising for a startup, this is a really interesting conversation. You don't want to miss it. So let's get straight into it. Hampus, welcome to the show. Could you briefly describe Pale Blue Dot for those that don't know you? So fund size, geography, ticket size. Yeah, so Pale Blue Dot is a 87 million euro fund. Um, we are doing pre-seed and seed. Our, essentially our fund model is we want 10% for 1 million euros dollars pounds so like the amount is slightly different there and uh, depending on kind of when and where and how the company is at phase but generally if a company is raising more than three million euros then we're not probably the right one we do sometimes do super earlier stage like we meet somebody like two people out of a shed and they really have nothing and they're raising 500k we have done a couple of those but i think at the end of the day our model is still the same we want to get to 10 percent for a million so then we essentially just we do the pre-seed and then we probably don't lead the seed, but we participate quite a lot in the seed and like take more in the seed than um, planned. Um, and then I think that we're a very generalistic fund, like we're a climate tech fund, but we do absolutely everything. So like we've done anything in transportation, we've done in food, we've done in super, super, super deep tech. We've done really nasty, gnarly hardware. We've done very, very, very easy to deploy software. So it's like, we're all over the place. Uh, geography, we're Europe and North America. Um, we have done we have done six deals in the UK, five in the US, four in Germany, uh, four in the Nordics, and one in Netherlands uh, so far. Um, okay. So kind of spread all over the place. Great. And you are three GPs in your team. Uh, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you come from operational, entrepreneurial, and angel investing, so not pure products of VC. So how did you raise a first-time fund with that? What's your secret? Yeah, I think that the secret, I mean, we went out and raised the fund in September 2019 is when we started. And I think September 19, crazy enough, uh, in Europe, when we talk about climate, people said, I agree with climate. I wonder if one should make a fund out of that. When we talked to American LPs, they said, I agree, somebody should do a fund about that. I wonder if climate change is real. Um, so 2019 was like a bit of a bit of a dress rehearsal year when we talked to people and they essentially either disagreed about the money part or about the climate part, strange enough. 2020 when that came i think that the ketchup effect kind of came for us like it seemed like a lot of people just suddenly said this is really relevant so we've done as a team heidi yule and myself we've done 100 plus investments uh, i used to work for a fund called blue yard where of course mm -hmm. i've done initial lots of investment for them heidi and Yule used to run a micro fund and i've been in um an angel investor uh, for done quite a lot of deals that way so i think the good thing we had is that we were able to show and explain how we had been value add for startups and done pre-seed and seed and a quite a lot so that was very easy and also very nice like lps who were more founder led lps who were maybe family offices they could call previous founders that we invested in and talk to them and you know gave like which gave us great reviews and i think the ones that were more financially driven they were ones that we were struggling more with the ones that were asking so you have not been a gp at a fund before this is your emerging fund i think what worked with them was i think the fact that we were very unique when we started there was no climate tech fund so i think when people like the question people really had was is there allocation for climate 
So that is, I think, that when we're going out to raise fund two, when that's going to happen, I think the first question we're going to ask LPs is, have you had decide, have you decided on a special allocation for climate? Because I wish we would have asked that question earlier. Now that that we wasted quite a lot of time to figure out if people agreed with us if climate was investable. Um, but I think that the winning metric, apart from the fact that we had done a lot of deals previously, was that we had a very strong thesis about what is investable in climate. And I think that was really what rolled with people. I would say that independently if it was a kind of more institutional P or if it was more of a family office, when we explained what we think is happening in the world and how that is investable and how to curb the climate effects, that was when a lot of people nodded and said, yeah, I really agree to this. This is really relevant. And then the question were like, are there unicorns and stuff like that? But it was very nice to see that resonated so well, people. And uh, would you say that today would be a completely different rational? You wouldn't have as much success as a first time fundraising today uh, because it's a lot more crowded. There's more uh, fund managers, you know, trying to spin something off that are that have the track record that LPs expect. Yeah, I think that what's harder today, I would say, is that today, I think a lot of people are going to say, so are you starting a climate tech fund? How are you going to differentiate yourself between the mm -hmm. climate tech funds that are around and the generalist funds who obviously do climate tech? So like people are going to point at Creandum and Point9 and EQT and whatever, like lots of great generalist funds. And they're going to say, but these people are writing tickets in climate tech. How are you going to steal a deal from them? And then they're going mm -hmm. to pay, uh, like point to the pure play climate tech funds who are focused their brands on and, and focus on it. And they're going to say, how are you going to steal a deal from them? And I think that's a legit question. I think. And how do you steal question. a deal from them? Well, today, I think that, you... yeah, I think in our case, I think that our, I think what our edge is that we're, as you said yourself, I think that we're three founders who built and scaled companies. I think that the way we win deals is that we really want to figure out what the founders are thinking and what they want to build. So I think that there's almost a joke when we go on uh, on a call. What, what happens a lot of time for me when I meet a complex business is like I read their deck, I look through everything, and then I go on the call. And then after the, hey, hello, how's the weather in Berlin or whatever, and we talk mm -hmm. a bit chatty about like, you know, where they are, just like being nice people, right? After that first introduction chat, I usually say, hey, you know, Alicia, before you pitch me, just like, can I just try to explain what you do? And they say, so what? And I, then I pitch them. So then I just go through, so you are essentially connecting to existing heat pumps with software. And by doing that, and you get access to them through them, you big utilities and you sign them on these kind of contracts, then you can do demand response. You can handle off the peaks. You can sell that for 50 euros per pop per year, per heat pump, blah, blah, blah. And like I walk them through their own business, right? And I think you think that heat pumps are going to scale and the way you're going to get that. And then they just go, yeah, that's it's like 60% correct. Or they say, yeah, that's really, that's close. Or they say, no, 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 like you're 20% correct. And I think so you demonstrate intelligence. I'm not sure. Like sometimes I think in so I would say it's a flip of a coin. I think in some cases it's demonstrating intelligence. In some cases it's more demonstrating empathy because I would say the cases when we're 40% or less uh, correct, it becomes very, very funny. Like they mm -hmm. just, they just laugh and say like, no, no, that's not at all what we do. That's not at all how it works. But it's really, really funny to hear that's how it looks. And it shows, of course, that our deck is not very good, but holy moly, like, no, that's not how it works. And then they tell, tell me how it works. And I think that the ones that are, that, that they, you know, like we get what they do, they go like, yeah, that's, that is. And of course, you know, we can prepare, that's respected, of course. But one of the things which I think is interesting about it, now we can actually go into the details. So now when I say, one of the headaches I had with this market is how to actually sign up utilities. I, that's my worry. And I think from a founder's perspective, I've, I've had this experience myself as a founder, I think when a, like a VC or an angel investor or whatever have a comment, but it's completely, you know, they haven't thought it through or whatever. I just, I just hate having conversations with people say, oh, do you think so you don't want to waste people's problem? time? Yeah. And I think that then also we can drill down on a question. And when I say, I wonder how you're going to sign utilities, they know that I kind of at 80% plus, at least I get what they're doing. So they can say, hmm, I don't think it's that hard, Hampus. Okay. But you think it's hard and you obviously kind of get what we do. And then it becomes a really interesting conversation. And I think that so, I think, so, is really useful. Yeah, so on the, on the good side, right, they value the fact that you're, you have intelligence, you have insight, you've been around, and you think like an entrepreneur. But on the downside, when the company is clearly poor, are you brutally honest and do you cut off the short the call? Uh, how do you do with that? Which is 80% of you know, startup calls out there. Yeah, so I would say we actually don't go on that many calls. 
So we actually, okay. a lot of times, we look at the deck and we feel that either this is something where we feel like extremely competitive and we have a very hard time seeing the edge, what they're doing, or we actually a lot of times feel it's not our kind of deal. So a lot of times we look at a company who's like, this is a good company, but I mean, we're not the people who should invest in this. So a lot of it's just like a lot of stuff in like just pure electricity, like your PPAs and stuff, where we just feel like these are just massive spreadsheet businesses where you're supposed to be like super, super, super savvy on d detail, like financial engineering. And Heidi and Yul and myself, we're not that in love with it. Like, I think it's just not like, I mean, we've looked at some of those and just said, nah. we've done some fintech, but those are very different from the typical like energy and stuff. Um, so I think a lot of times we just say, look, no, we're going to call. And what we do then is we respond and say, give them some feedback, but usually point them at other VCs saying that, you know, this is a VC I think that likes this. And I think a lot of time it's about trying to add value, which is mm. easy for both parties. Like it's easy for us to say, you know, you're doing a hardware company. I mean, Extantia is good. You're doing kind of this kind of energy company. You're raising a pretty meaty round for your, have you talked to Velo Ventures? And the thing is that they go like, no, I haven't. And then, you know, we can just say, send me an email i can forward it so you're passing the hot potato basically to someone else and it's a it's sort of a, a polite way to get out no I, yes and no i would say i don't do it we don't do it if we think the deal is like if we look at the company and say i don't think this company is very good or like it's a very 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 competitive space okay. then we usually just say i think this we i mean i i would say 50 of my responses are this is a super competitive space i have a very hard time seeing differentiation i'm really sorry i can't we don't want to waste your time i think it's a time when we look at it and it's like this is probably good, but it's like, I'm not sure it's for us. Or we look at it and say, this is good, but it's not that strong on climate, but it's definitely good business. Then we and can say, like, that, talk to this other fund, which is like not climate fund. And what's the ratio? You said you don't take that many calls. So let's assume, uh, you know, uh, the, the average VC gets hundreds of decks, right, a given week. So how, how many calls yeah. do you take per week? And what's the selection mechanism? I would say that between the three of us you and Heidi and myself I guess that we're going on uh like five to maybe 15 calls a week I think that's like that's 15 is a pretty intense week individually no 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 In all total. of you yes. and you join the calls three of you uh, no, at the no, same no. time or no no no, no. so okay. the way it Separately. works is like essentially our process is really about passion pride and love like it's like it's essentially <laughs> everything is designed about that so like if I go on a call and I feel like holy moly, motherfucker, this is like, I love this team or I love this idea. Then I'm going to go through fire and, and hell to solve this. Like, I'm going to be like pitching Heidi and Yul and say, I want to do this deal. And the me mechanism we have is like, we can just do the deal. Like, I can just do the deal. And Heidi can just do the deal. We essentially try to help each other get out of the deal. So when I fall in love with a deal, then Heidi will tell me like, no, shit, Tampas, don't do this. This is worse or whatever. And we really try, even if we are loving ourselves. So good and cop, bad cop. Someone plays a role to really take it down. Yeah, but actually not towards the entrepreneurs. Like more, it's more like devil's advocates. It's more like when I mm -hmm. pitch Heidi, she's like, no, but seriously, do you think there's any revenue in this company? I'm like, yes, listen. And then she's like, yeah, you're, you're like, I can't get you to not be passionate, right? And But then you have the other case where like I look at it and I really like the idea, but I don't really click with the founders. Or I feel like I wish Pebble Dot did this investment, but I'm not the lead. And then I try to quickly pitch it to Heidi and Yule. So I just say like, talk to these people. I, I, kind of, I think it's your kind of deal. And those are rare that they convert, but they sometimes do. So like then I just met a company last week, which I, I really liked, but I felt like it's not my kind of business, but I, th I hope it's Heidi's kind of business and she's meeting them this week. So then she meets them. And then if she falls in love, then, you know, the circus is on again. And that's kind of what it is. Interesting. Do you favor consensus driven deals? So amongst no. the three of you, right, investment no. comedy, or it's contrarians, fully contrarians, something so where thing, we don't have an investment committee. The investment, com I mean, we have an investment committee, quote unquote, but the thing is the investment committee is you want to do it and the other partners are essentially not vetoing you. So like we have a scale which is called hell yes, yes, no, and hell no. And the thing is, okay. if you're if, if you're hell yes, so like you want, you're just like, I'm hell yes. The only way this deal is not going to happen is if one of the other two are saying hell no. And hell no is like, that's a portfolio veto. It is like, this is a sexual offender that's doing this company, or this is a company which is like a greenwashing company, or this is like, this could destroy the fund. But if you say you want to do something which is really wild, and the two of us are both saying no, we're just like, I don't like it. I, the other person, I don't like it. Then you you get to do the deal. It's no worries at all. Like you just Interesting. We, so only, we only vote so that you can feel how negative are we, so that you can think again and say, no, I still want to do it. And what's the ratio of, so, so you you all come with, with your personal biases, right? Everyone comes with their own program, there. and they're they're just programmatic, programmatically wired to just like certain deals. 
uh, do you find that regular on the regular basis you, you just don't align you don't see eye to eye and there's a lot of hell yeses from you your side that just ugh, the other two are, are just uh, not really seeing eye to eye does that create a lot of friction or it seems it to be does. no uh, it does and i would say like that i think that you know passion and pride and love is friction so i think that the thing about this is like i mean there's i would say that there's another kind of deal which is the actual really funny deal which never happens so there are a lot of deals i would say Every month, at least, I would say like at least 12 to 15 deals per year, all three of us give it a yes, but nobody gives it a hell yes. So then we don't do it. Okay. So there's quite a lot of time we see it like, this is a good company. This is going to be good. This is actually going to work. And I can, the founders are the right people. I'm not in love, but I think this is solid. And then the two are like, I, I feel exactly the same. Can, can you talk us through a much. story? That I would love to see it in, in, in practice, right? A, a recent deal where there's a lot of friction and in the end, you ended up making it. Could you walk us yeah, through so, it? Yeah, exactly. So like the, I did an investment, like, let's see, uh, there was a, like, I'm trying to think of like strange cases. So there are a couple of strange cases. One is like, we did a charging hardware in the US last, by last, like January, February, right? And what happens was that Heidi meets this guy cold bound, cold inbound from LinkedIn. Like he just pings her and says, hey, I would love to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. You know, who checks LinkedIn? Like, for God's sake, that's just crazy. So the thing is that Heidi goes on a call with this guy and it's just like, there's something, there's something the way he writes, there's something that she goes on a call, 15 minute call. Just like he's in, he's in Oakland, uh, California. So like nine, nine hours time difference. Goes on a call, just talks about it very briefly. He's fairly academic about it, but he's very likable. And she's like, nah, okay, thanks a lot. This is good, interesting. Thanks, Joe. You know, leaves, next day comes to the office, meets me and says like, I talked to this guy yesterday. I think you're going to love him a lot, but I think this is a company I don't think we're going to do. Like it's crazy much hardware. It's like he feels a bit academic about it, but like liked him a lot. She explains it, and I'm like, I'm gonna go on the call. Like, hey, I'm gonna like you like him as a person. Let's go on the call. I go on the call, and I completely fall in love with the guy. I'm like, this. Mm-hmm. I really love it. I like. I don't like the way the business is gonna be conducted. Like the go to market is brutal, but I really like, really, really, really like him. And then essentially for two weeks, which is a very long time at pale dot time, it's like we go back and forth, Heidi and Ewell and I, and talk about this. It's like so much hardware, no real software, da 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 da. Should we do it? Ewell goes on a call with a guy, likes him, but says, no, I really don't want to do this. This is the completely wrong deal, right? And then essentially I go on a call with him and, and he's just like, essentially looks me in the eye and says, hey, if we're going to solve climate change, we're going to do the hardware. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you're right. Okay, let's go do it. And that was like the wildest thing. Cause like essentially I just ping Heidi and you all on WhatsApp at like 10 PM in the evening and says, talk, just, just talk to Joe. Fuck. I want to do the deal. And like, I want to do it all for the stupidest reason. And it's like, I love him. It's clearly needed of climate. And it's clearly needed that we like are bold enough to do this. And it's like, that's the thing about pride as well. It's like, we look a lot of that stiff stuff and we say, you know, when we look back at this in, you know, in 10 years, look back, are we going to be proud that we did the investment? Are we going to be proud that we kind of did that to that founder or whatever? And we just looked and said, we would feel, we would feel a lot like proud to actually, and I mean, being proud is a lot about bravery. It's about doing something you're uncomfortable with. And we can you tell us the specifics of that deal? Because it's, you know, it's, it's quite insightful to, to, to see that, right? And the fact that it's a little destructured and, and just, just about falling in love with it. Can you talk us through, is it pre-seed, is it seed, what's maximum so risk? And at the end of the day, it's all about the person. And what's the ticket that you invested? So we did, uh, I think we did a roughly a million dollars. It's, uh, okay. and it's, uh, the team is like an ex Apple cars team. Like they know everything about that market and cars and like super geniuses. Um, and then they're building an infrastructure to charge extremely large vehicles. So like, think about like, you know, big, big, big trucks and it's nasty hardware. It's like nasty hardware. It's nasty to install it. It's nasty to figure out where to charge. It's nasty to pull energy from the grid. It's like nasty. Everything's nasty. This is one of those things where I think all the all those VCs we see them, and we just say, I wish I wish they get some awesome big grant. <laughs> like that's what you think when you see them. I think what's different here is that the founder has figured and thought so much about de-risking and how to run a process where you don't need twenty million dollars to test your idea. So like the like he has made it venture with a caveat that it's still a lot of hardware. <laughs> and I think that that's such a beautiful thing. And what happened is essentially we just said, yeah, let's lead this round, let's give them a ticket and let's go out and find VCs on the ground in the US that are, can be, you know, more on the ground. Cause like we like, we love co-investing. Um, I think that the 1 million for 10% model is really designed for getting another, another VC in or angel investors or micro funds in. 
So we went out and hunted and got two awesome co-investors that we're really happy for that they, you know, they have feet on the ground and they like to get the business really well. And they're like good funds. So like we like working with them. But I think that deal by deal, this is the case. We had another deal we did in, in London, Climate X, where like two people from X banking, which is honestly not our category. Usually we do. It's not our kind of people we fall in love with. And uh, these two people are building a climate risk, uh, like a way of looking at risk for real estate and property. And it's, again, something we don't tend to fall in love with. What happened was Heidi talked to them. Heidi essentially, you know, declines them on the call very politely, but kind of, you know, says like, this is not kind of deal. They send a great follow-up email with data. Heidi reads it and goes through it with me. And she says like, hey, I actually want to talk to them again because this is good points. She goes to talk to them again, comes out of the call, says to me, I like, I agree with them, but I'm going to decline them anyway. Declines them the day after. And then they say, hey, can you do another call? And she's like, no, I'm not going to do another call, right? And then they write another email. And then Heidi, like, looks up at, like, we sit opposite each other. And she's just like, I can't decline this company. Like, this is just so painful. I can't decline them. I don't know. And then I just, like, I look at her and I just end up saying, I think you should do it. And she's like, what? I think you should do it. That's interesting. Yeah, like, no, no, I mean, I mean, she wants to do it, right? But she she wants to do it, but she also doesn't want to do it. And I just, like, I look at her and it's like, you realize that it's such a superpower if you're talking to a founder, they're from a sector you don't care about. They're they're from a like a you know type of person that maybe you don't fall in love with generally, um, and you know you really like them. You really 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 like them, and you really really can't decline this company. That is a superpower, and I think that mm-hmm. founders, I think great founders, they have like they have some superpower, and I think the thing is that what you don't want is founders. You don't want like well-rounded and like quote-unquote like stable people like if you have a person who's like very well-rounded that's not usually what you need at all you need a person who has like some kind of extreme skill like extreme skill being able to recruit everyone you want or being able to kind of get anybody on a meeting or being able to sell to anybody or being able to build any anything or whatever you need that kind of one super skill or greater if you have more than one super skill but that means that if you meet these people you just realize you can't decline it then maybe you should do it like i I think it's really important. I, I hate when VCs say, oh, we're building, it's like a startup having a VC because, you know, we're fundraising and it's like very similar. It's not at all fucking similar. I think it's a complete joke when people say that. that like, actually, when you're I, a startup, you have actually, no just double click on this. This is very important because there's a misconception on, on that front, right? So fundraising for a fund versus fundraising for a startup. Very different. Uh, can, can you actually t- talk us through, I would really like to, to get, uh, uh, you know, one of the most painful moments you've experienced raising this fund. It's easy when you're on the other side, right? You can celebrate or post on LinkedIn, but tell us, you know, paint us a picture of the pain that it is to fundraise. I wouldn't say it's actually painful to raise for a fund. Like I would actually it's say not it's, no, I would actually not. So like, I think it's, it's actually, it's not a breeze. I think the thing is that it's, I actually think it's way nicer raising money for a fund than it's raising money for a startup. I raised money for okay. like having done a hundred and something angel investments. I've been participating in, I think hundred plus rounds when I've been trying to help a startup where I'm very active in fundraising, either their you know their seed or their A or their B or whatever. I hate fundraising for funds for for startups. Sorry for startups. It is freakingly horrible raising for a startup. But you talk to people who are totally. But how is it nice to to raise for for a fund? I think the thing is not it's not butterflies and rainbows. No, it's not butterflies and rainbows. But I think it's more more like sales. It's more like it's like we all keep our identities intact. Like the thing is when you're raising for a startup, like when you're pitching, people just call you stupid. People just say, why would anybody ever, you know, whatever, eat insects? Or why would anybody ever do this? And you're like, you're talking about the thing I did my PhD on. I spent 20 years in this. I promise, like, this is important. And people are like, I think this is meaningless or whatever. It's just like, or they say, I think this is competitive. And it's like, yes, of course it is, but it's important, right? I think raising for a fund is like you come out with a thing where like, it's like, we're doing a fund. This is the ticket size. This is the round size. And like 80% will just say, no, thank you. And you're like, okay. And it's irritating, right? They say no. But it's kind of like, you know, if you're selling shoes, it's like you say to people, do you want the shoes? They'll say, no. And it's like, okay, it's not me. I mean, like, yeah. you know, you, you, hate, you don't want the shoes. And then, they, they, you know, sometimes people say, I don't think you're a good fund manager and stuff. And it's like, I mean, they're doing their job. It's like, I get it. And they're, I would say that raising for fund, I think the mo- biggest difference is their identity. It's like both parties know why I'm doing and they get it and they might not agree that it's a good business idea but they get it versus when you're raising for a startup like the other part of the VC side they say that you are crazy they call your identity a bluff and I think that is such a fucking irritating situation where you're like 
I promise you this is a great idea. We're printing money. I, and they're like, I don't believe in you. I want to provide just a different perspective. It's very insightful to get your, your views on this. I, I see it from the other side, right? Today, we're in an overcapitalized market where uh, if you're a yeah. decent founder, you can probably get money, right? Especially for hardware, for something that's really, really complex. There is a ton of pockets of capital available. When you're a fund manager, it's highly unlikely, especially for first-time funds, to raise a fund in three months, four months. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that unless it's a solo GP around and super small fund size. But if you're, you know, at the, the fund level that you are, how long did it take you? Can, can you so, give us a reality so, check? We, we, no, no, we, we, I left Blueyard 1st of September. We started fundraising in October. We opened the fund in June. So October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June. So what is that? Nine months. And... It was a home run after home run. How did you get your no, 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 investors? No, 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 no. It was no after no after no after no after no. Okay. I mean, we talked to, I think we counted on more than 400 uh, meetings. I think that, so what we did is we rewrote an email, like we wrote like just like the blurb that you sent as a founder. We wrote a very clear, this is what we're aiming to do, right? We're like, this is the first close size. This is a CVs of us. This is like, not, not like, not a lot of attachment, just very, very short email, short, short and sweet. And the point is we wanted to get, we wrote all the nasty stuff in the, in, the, in the blurb. So like one iPhone screen blurb where people can read and they can just say, quickly say no. So like the point was like we send this to people, we want a lot of people to see this and then we want people to just look at it and say, we don't believe in climate or we don't think you're, we, want, do, we don't do emerging funds or we don't do funds of that size. So we got a lot of no's very, very quickly. And those we don't even calculate it. Like we don't count to them. We're just like, we wanted every single call we went to, we wanted to make sure that they agreed that there's space to build a climate tech fund in Europe, that like building a fund of like $100 million size is meaningful, three GPs can deploy this, like da, 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 like all of the basic stats that an LP goes on and says, I don't disagree with you. I'm not going to invest, but I don't disagree with you. And on this call, we now talk. And I think that was great because I think that what it's really painful to raise for a fund is when you kind of go on meetings and you realize the table stakes we don't even agree on. Like, we don't even agree mm. on this fund size or ticket sizes or stages or whatever. That's like when you just end up like, so what we did is we wrote an email, which was very, very easy to say, thanks, thanks for asking, but we're not interested. So every time yeah. we went on a call, they were interested, which meant the call was useful. I want to I want to believe in what you're saying. I, I've seen I've experienced something else with institutional capital where there's always yeah, interest right? and they bring. No, 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 no. I mean, it's like it's like we have we have one pension fund. We have one fund of fund. And then we have, oh, we have two funds of funds, two funds of funds, one pension fund. And then we have, what is it? Seven big family offices. And then everything else is entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs own family offices. Can you, you give us a, a picture of the, the sort of divide of a ticket size, if you, if you may? So That's what's the largest so like ticket we, size from? Yeah. So with the largest is like 20 million. So we have, we have four tickets, five, no, sorry, six tickets that are in the um, eight to 20 million size. And then we have 50 tickets that are in the 250 to a million size, kind of like. And would you that. say that the level of pain has been fairly similar across the no, board? No, 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 no. The, 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 what we've done essentially is like, we view it as in, we viewed it as in raising an A round and having convertible notes on the side. So that when we, like now I'm thinking about it as a startup. So when we talked to, you know, the Supercell founders, they were like, I love this, this is super cool. You should meet two, three mm -hmm. of my team, like a second meeting. They were like, this is, we jazzed on the call. It was great. We we're like, this is fun. And then they said, you don't really like do funds that much, but do you, could you do like 250K maybe? And we we're like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's cool. And like, I'm not going to say that they're ticket size to make sure. And so create like, an SPV for, for those small tickets? No, no. And then we just said, that's great. We'll put it in your spreadsheet. We'll just put it in a spreadsheet and say like this person, this, blah, blah, blah. And then we, we emailed, emailed them back right after the call and said, thanks. This is super interesting. Just like for my notes, I put you down at 250K. And then they responded, yes, that sounds great. And then we waited like a week or two. And then we said, hey, by the way, what is your investing entity? And that's when a lot of people were like, haven't thought about that. Uh, I'll check with my financial person. And then we got into the second loop of like quick DD, like some kind of financial person got in and said, tell me something about the fund, give me some material. And that was like a great, because now the, you know, the person who runs the fund, who owns the money says, I want to do this. Now figure out that I can do it. And that was great because these people, they're helpful, right? Because the boss has said, you're going to do it. And now they're going to say, okay, the boss wants it. Let me just figure out how we do it. And those were very helpful for us. They asked us really good questions and they actually told us good stuff. But the thing on the other side, so those were like, we just end up writing the spreadsheet and then we just now have their investing entity. And then we just said, we're going to ping you four weeks before first closing. That's it. 
And then the other one is like now we're slowly working on these like funds of funds, pension funds. Mm-hmm. You know, you fly to Luxembourg, you fly to whatever big city, you meet these people. You have to sometimes even wear a suit. It's horrible. And I think the interesting <laughs> and those like you're you're meeting like a person who they their job is to you know handle somebody's money and that somebody is like a in in, in an institution, right? So the, their questions or are like very. Their job yeah, but, is to actually pass an email or the folder to the next guy that will then bring it to the boss. And then by the time you really are to the decision maker, it's three months in. Yeah, and I think the decision maker is a consensus driven decision maker. So like it's the problem is with those is that you don't get to meet right. Bob or Alice who signs. Like you get to meet the group of ten people and you realize that they might be in, in like informal stakeholders and you know informal stakeholders, you don't really know what's going on. So I think what we did there is that we found the what's it called? I L P A, I L Q P A, ILPA now. ILPA, thank you. Uh, so, like, essentially, a due diligence questionnaire that we downloaded mm-hmm. and filled out, and we sent it them. And I think that was the blessing because when we sent that over, essentially, what happened is that people just like looked at that like cheat, and then they said, "Okay, you filled in all the you know all the data, so now we can have a conversation." And I think that then I think so that now we have this conversation that's going to take between three three months and like no nine months or whatever. And that but but here, remember. Every time we talked to them, we said, oh, by the way, it's funny because yesterday the Unity founder said like he wants to invest. Oh, by the way, Kevin Ryan, I don't know if you've seen Kevin Ryan's LinkedIn profile, like, but he's so creating a bit of FOMO. And, like, and they were like, holy shit, these are pretty impressive people, right? They know what they're doing. And they, some of these fund of funds, they just like, you, you know, the, you know their, their brain wasn't moved, but their gut was moved. So like they just felt, hey, I've got to do my job. I got to fill everything. I got to know that we checked everything. But they felt the enthusiasm. And I think that's the thing is that you have to realize, like, I think I learned that when I was building a startup. Lawyers are people, too. It is like, uh, you know, like, the, like, these people are people. Like, you know, you talk to them, and if they're enthusiastic, <laughs> they're enthusiastic. They, but I think that, so a lot of times, I view it as enterprise sales. It's like, I meet these people, and I, like, they, I see that they are interested. And then I usually ask them, how can I help you to decide? Like, what's, you, you know, you what's seem- between me and a yes? And they sometimes say, like, hundreds and hundreds of things. And I'm like, just tell me the hundreds and hundreds of things. You seem to have really been thorough about your thinking about how the sales process of fundraising, right? And and it seems like there's a good way to fundraise and a bad way to fundraise. If, if you were to single out one element that you think was just a home run for most people that you, you spoke with, is it just the, the story or is it the fact that the, the team look, um, you know, uh, fairly compelling or is it the timing? And maybe the timing played a big role. I think that, I mean, timing plays a big role if you're doing something which is vertical. Like if you're doing a generalist fund, it's not timing, right? It's just like, I think that, I think generally it's climate. Also, yeah, if you're do, I think if you're doing a generalist fine, climate fund today, I think that there's definitely good and bad timing, of course, but I don't think it's timing per se. I think the thing is, I think the biggest thing is like, it's kind of the same as with startups, like why you and how will you win? So I think a lot of times I think that figuring out like, why are we going to be able to do this well? And, you know, how are we going to win the way we operate stuff? And I think at the end of the day, the headache is that these, at least for me, these are not hard facts. Like when I meet a fund and they have like an AI that sorts their deals or they have like whatever, they have a token for the founders. I just think it's total bullshit. I just think, I don't think that you can do anything, but at like the end of the day, the headaches are the ones that win, the reasons you win deals is usually because like of soft reasons, right? Like you, you focus on something or like you work really hard or you're always gonna fly around or you've built your companies yourself and you know people a lot or whatever, it's soft stuff. So I think at the end of the day, I think that what I always recommend people, anybody I know who says we're thinking about starting a fund, I would say start as a small fund as you can and invest it. And then we can invest in that. Then you can show a track record and then people can interview the founders. Because I think that institutions, they all they invest essentially in two things. They invest in that, that they know that fund one might not be super, but they mm-hmm. are in it for fund two and fund three. So the thing is they, they don't want you to be like, if you are thinking about doing a fund one and like living the glory days with that, that's probably the wrong thing. So they're investing real long term in you. Even so though you stats prove the contrary, right? If you look at EIF, so the, uh, the, the, the emerging fund funder, right? Fund. No, exactly. The first time fund, the emerging fund managers tend to outperform, right? So the yeah, LP should sure maybe recalibrate. First, no, I'm not sure if it's the first fund, though. I think it's like, but I agree with it's like the emerging fund. So it's like, it's more like the three first funds. I think that, I think that, I think the reason the first fund usually outperforms is actually because the first fund is a lot smaller. And the smaller mm-hmm. funds, of course, have way better multiples. And more focus and also the the, the, the passion, right? The, the, the emerging fund managers, they need to prove themselves. So they're, they're completely that, going over, you know, I think above and beyond. Guess, 
Yeah, I guess it's 50-50. I think that the thing is like, if you have a $20 million fund, it's extremely much easier to have like a Forex multiple fund than if you have a $100 million fund. And the reason is of course very simple because if you have a $100 million exit in a company, then if you're a $20 million fund, that's a pretty nice exit. If you have a $100 million exit in a, like in a, in a $100 million fund, and I, mean, mm-hmm. I don't mean you get $100 million, but the company sold, that's a pretty bad exit. So the problem is like, if you have the bigger fund you have, the more you rely on massive unicorns. And the problem with massive unicorns is they take time to build. So I think the cool thing about starting like $20 million funds is that you can actually show pretty nice TVPI and, and you can actually show quite nice multiples, which means that you actually have something that works. And then of course, the problem is that if you're a big institution, you need to multiply you know, $200 million. So you don't care about a $20 million fund. That actually gets back to one about the sales process we did, is we try to weed out people that wanted to uh, do like needed two big fund sizes because there's a lot of people who wanted to right. climb it who say minimum tickets needed two hundred yeah you need a two hundred fifty million dollar fund because we do fifty million dollar tickets and we can't own more than you know x percent and then the problem is that you just realize oh shit we're hundred million dollar fund and then you balloon your fund to two hundred fifty million dollars because you want this LP the problem is like you as a person your DNA is wired to do seed. And like you have a $250 million fund, you can't do seed rounds. Like that's impossible. You're going to do so many seed rounds. And so the, I think that's the headache is that I think that at the end of the day, I'm extremely grateful that people just believed in us, right? They saw like all of the soft stuff we said about how we believe the world to work and how we believe ourselves to be good at stuff. And we're very vulnerable in saying that when people said, oh, why didn't you do a three million fund? I think we just said, I think we would suck at it. And yeah, that's like, uh, your fund size is your strategy. Yeah, exactly. Our fund size and right, exactly. Does that mean that for Pale two, so as you go out uh, fundraise, and I don't know where you similar are, right? Fund. In that deploying, yeah. is it going to be the similar fund, similar fund size, yeah. similar strategy? Okay. Exactly. So like slightly, slightly larger. I think that when we look at it, it's like eighty-seven million euro is if you just do the pure math. I don't know if you, as all other fund managers, uh, are using the same lovely tools as we do, but uh, we love <laughs> love uh, causal and like causal app like fund modeling tools and it's really nice to kind of just causal apps your fund. we'll link everything it's in the causal, show notes app. it's like a super nice way of just modeling a fund and figuring out like essentially what the big drivers are and i think that figuring out like is it breadth or width of portfolio like do you want a 30 logo portfolio of startups where you own 10 percent, or do you want a te- concentrated 10 portfolios where you own 20 percent, right and like stuff like that and it's really, and what's really your nice. belief and it, i believe that my belief is that um Depends if you want to go for high risk, high return or lower risk, solid. Like, are you after, I think if you make a flat fund, like if you make a 30 logo, 10% shareholding, it is extremely hard to make like a 5x fund. I think it's like almost impossible. I think it's like if you hit Uber, it's great, right? So it has to be more concentrated. No, uh, no, no. So I think that on the other contrary, if you build a 10 logo fund with with 20% shareholding, I think you have a chance of doing a 5x fund, but it's extremely unlikely. Because like you have, you know, you have very few logos to hit a solid company. So I think that the question is like, are you after like, a, you know, a, a br- like a high thing or a broad thing? The good thing if you do a 30 portfolio fund with 10% shareholding each, it's like the probability of you doing more than one X fund is fairly okay. And the probability of doing a two X fund is fairly okay. Three X is, you know, harder, right? Five X is very hard. So I think that we essentially aim to say we're going to do roughly roughly 30 with 10% shareholding because we think that the unicorns in climate haven't really come that far yet. And because you invest mm-hmm. in stuff like hardware and like stuff that have longer lead times and maybe not the same exit landscape, like like food has a, like a different kind of exit landscape. We felt that we don't think that even if we own 20% in a company, they're not going to be that Uber. So like we would prefer to have a breadth and that breadth also gives us the breadth of industries that we can do transportation and industry and food and whatever. And if we do only 10 logos, we can't. Like then we have to be very, very much picky and concentrate. So like we ended up saying very broad portfolio with 10% shareholding. The other sweet thing with, with 10% shareholding is you get very collaborative. So the nasty thing is that if you're a 20% shareholding fund is that then you say it's our deal and no one else's deal. So you take the whole round, you just shove everyone else out. There's an angel once in, maybe she or he gets it, but very improbable, right? The thing is that if you're a 10% fund, you're super collaborative. So like we, we did a deal in January we talked to the founders a couple of times. We said, we love this thing. We essentially said, we, go, we can, we'll just give you a convertible note. We'll build that Notion page. We'll go out and talk to the people. We super lucky for the, for the whole situation was that we, we built super, super short Notion page. We would like had to spend two days on it. We pinged our friends at 50 years that we like Seth and Ella. What's a Notion page? Just, Meaning, so we just, how do you we use just it? Build a page. We just built a page for the startup. Like we built, like we're looking at a startup. We, so like, okay. And then we essentially build 
not a pitch deck, but like we built our kind of view it as our DD room, whatever you want to call it. So like, this is like why we're investing. This is where the market is great. These are the founders. These are fear and certainty doubts we have. These are weaknesses. We share And you make it fully transparent. Exactly. Interesting. We share with the founders. That's good to be. And then we actually clone them. For sometimes the founders are like, sometimes we have an internal version and most of the times we have a pure version that they can see. But sometimes we actually do have stuff that, for example, we when we do a lot of reference calls, uh, we don't want the founders to read the reference calls because that's like, it, you know, it's people that said stuff about them, even if they said great stuff, but that's just private stuff. So those, those are linked to hidden, hidden pages. But like, is this something read that, everything we think about them. Is this something that you'd be willing to, to share or is that proprietary and you think no, it's no, too we, much of a secret sauce? I, I can't, no, it's not secret sauce for us, but the problem is like, it's everything about the startup. So like if, if, if just the format in, with the, the community something that we could share with other funds the format is super simple it's like essentially everything you worry about the startup so like first first it is like why we would invest so like we just have you know hide um local like transportation and last mile is a massive climate pollution the founders are super super strong one was the best in their university ever did a turnaround in their family business the other one is like a super super amazing person at and finding and poaching talent to get them on and was like the uh, captain of manchester city a youth team like super super stellar people they've hustled they build a business they've done this and that before it's super amazing okay so that's like the intro people read that like i agree about the climate i agree about the people awesome and then move on and there's like now go into the market like how does the logistic market work you know like what's last mile how big is the climate problem how does the players work who are the competitors we just go through these things and we just write and write and the founders get to write too right and then we just say we really want to come invest with whatever fund we just say we we send them a blurb saying hey we're investing in hive we're doing this deal these are the terms are you interested and they say no we don't like you know last mile whatever we're like okay whatever and then you know some again we want people to quickly say no and if people say no yeah kind of interesting then i say here's our notion page and they read it and like, this is sweet. I really think this is super cool. I really cool. think yeah, this is good cool. insight. I want to talk to I wanted to come back to one core point you made, right? You said that it, you, you, as advice to first uh, wannabe fund managers or first time emerging fund managers, um, start small, start quick, you know, 20 million size, much better than 100 million. But yeah, I, I can't help but I can't <laughs> can help but realize that your first first one was 87 million. So you're closer to the 100 than to the 20. Is it by design intent, or is it just a victim no. of your success? No, I would say that the plan, the problem was that there were two, two, plan, uh, two reasons, maybe. I think the one is that Hyde Annual ran a microfund before. So like we, they felt, and I mean, I was in the IC of it. We had quite a lot of target practice and I worked at Blue Art, which is a $250 million uh, fund. So like we had, like we had from two sizes, like Blue Art on the larger size and them on the smaller size, we're doing a lot and like looking at a lot. And we essentially said, the problem is of course the management fees. The problem is like, if you run a $20 million fund, and like your three fund managers, this is going to be impossible. Like you can't do this. Mm-hmm. So you have, then you have to figure out your salary somewhere else, or you have to deploy the fund really fast. And the so we originally had the plan of doing a forty million dollar fund or forty million euro fund. Sorry. Okay. So that was that. So essentially, we designed the fund and said we have two scenarios: we do a forty million dollar fund or a forty million euro fund, or we do an eighty million euro fund. And we essentially had two very different scenarios. We went out and started having conversations. And what the, our anchor actually is what they did end up saying is they end up saying we'll anchor any of these. So like we can do this much a percent of the fund independently. And when they said that, and why having these like rolling closings, convertibles, so to say, not having convertibles, but like, you know, essentially these conversations with people, we looked, summed that up and saw like, now we're fairly, we're, we were at like 50 something, 52, if we actually looked at the ratios of them and everything. So then we said, so then let's aim for 80 instead. Like that feels like we actually have the math to, instead of doing a 40 fund, let's do try to an 80 fund. And we had like, then we recalibrated the whole system and like looked at it and said, now we have two outputs. We have a 60 million euro fund and we have an 80 million euro fund. So like we designed two new, you know, portfolio structures and everything just like looked at it. So like we don't want to go south of 60 and we don't want to go north of 80 was the plan. And then what happened is like essentially as you everybody realizes is like there's a massive ketchup effect when you're saying now we're doing final closing. So what happened mm-hmm. was that suddenly everybody said, hey, oh, oh, is this the last chance? I want to join. And then we just ballooned up to 87. So the plan was did not you, to get there. Did you do two closes or one single close? We did, we did two closes. We did one in two June closes. and one in uh, March. So uh, like uh, June 2020 and March 2021. So fairly and spread up. Fairly spread up, exactly. We just kept it open because we didn't care. Like we essentially we closed the fund in June and as a lot of fund managers, we just stopped fundraising completely. We just like, we closed the fund and we did, I think we did seven, eight investments without bothering to talk to a single other LP. We're just like, now we're just like, essentially, oh, the only LPs we talked about, talked to between June and I think October were essentially people who inbound or that we had already booked a call with. But essentially we just- And how much more, how much more capital did you raise between first close and second close? So 53 versus 87. And the thing is- And that came organically. We had like, 
No, 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 no. So when I had the nap in October, in October we said, okay, okay, okay. Now let's actually look at closing the fund. Because now mm-hmm. we've done a lot of investments. We're starting to work with the portfolio. The good thing is then is then you go from that fantasy football structure where like you have fake logos and talk about fake companies to when you talk to LPs, you have seven, eight investments. So people say, oh, I like these companies. Or why did you invest in that company? That sounds super weird. And that was great. So then we essentially, in October, we said, okay, let's go out and quote unquote fundraise again. And then the difference is people, well, we have something to talk about. We're not talking about a fantasy thing. So let's talk mm-hmm. about it. And then we actually, we were way above 87. Like we were like, like I think we were 100. No, not oversubscribed, but there's a lot of interest. And a lot of people, what that, it, they would do it if. So there were a lot of people said, we will do it if we can be one of the anchors and we can get this in the LPA. Or we will do it if you also add this. Or we will do it if you do, blah, blah, blah. So then we had to ask ourselves is that, which of these things do we agree to? So some of the things we said, that's a good point. We kind of like that. Maybe we should do that. And then we talked to like the existing, you know, advisor board and anchors is like, are you okay with this? Do you think this is interesting? And then sometimes we just looked and said, no, we don't want to do this at all. And we actually don't want this. And then it's not oversubscribed because we were never actually compliant to it. Like we had fund of, fund of funds and said, we will do this if you, you know, hire a person in this country or whatever. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that. That's like not complication. We will do this if you apply this level of SFDR level. And we're like, no, we don't want to do that. So that, then it's like, if we're desperate, of course we would, I guess. But like, we don't think it's a very good idea. And I want to ask a, a question, right? It's, it's a bit of a, there's definitely not consensus on this. Uh, when, when people announce the first close, would you, would you be in favor of uh, just doing a PR launch and just announcing it? Because it creates, yeah, yeah. people come out of the woods, LP conversations start organically happening. 100%. Um, and, but would you communicate the total fund size or just uh, the no. amount of money that you've raised? No, I think so you should. Far. I think it's. I, I'm a super big, big believer in like transparency in general. I think that the way. So we did it. We said like we did a launch. Like TechCrunch talked to us super nicely. We did a lot. We said like you know, Pebble Dot, Heidi, Will and Hampus, like blah blah blah, raising their climate tech fund, fifty three million euros, and already five investments out of the gate, or whatever. And like I don't remember how number it was. And then the TechCrunch article described a bit of the investments. What was super nice is like a lot of people pinged us and said. Either they said, I don't get it. Why do you invest in that company? Like, doesn't seem like climate. Or how is this, does this work? How do you build a market around this? And those calls were great. Because then we talked to people and they were like, aha, oh, you've thought quite a lot about this. And we're like, yes. And they said, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. I represent a big family office. We're very worried about some of the new funds coming out that they actually don't think very deeply. And we're like, yeah, get it. And they said, could you actually have another call with us and stuff like that? So I would definitely say you should announce. I think the thing is my general rule of thumb is you should never announce when you don't want the inbound. I say the same thing to founders. When we invest in a company, we just say, don't announce. announce inbound only. deal flow or inbound, inbound LP anything. calls? Like, you know, I think okay. that, you know, if you're a startup, if you just close your round, if you announce, you're super proud and think it's great. But now you're going to have a hundred journalists and, you know, salespeople and some people looking for jobs pinging you. And if you're not interested in recruiting, if you're now planning to actually sit three months and actually onboard this first big customer, you do not want that attention. So a lot of times we ask the founders, what do you want 50 to 100 emails now? And they say, no. And we're saying, don't launch them. And then like, essentially they just stay silent until they say, in two months, I think we would really like to have a lot of employee inbound. And it's like, okay, let's launch. But it's hard to single out, right? Um, job seekers or, or further investments, no, no, you're but gonna, also you're gonna customers. Gonna no, no, no. You get everything. That's right. It, you cannot single no, but I mean, out. Like you, no, but not only customers. I think that, so we have one company we invest in, which is an amazing company. I had a conversation with him yesterday where we we're discussing a thing. He does not want more customers right now. Like he's onboarding amazing customers. He wants to prove those and build case studies with them. He does not want 50 more customers right now. He doesn't That's want That's in the best case scenario. I would say no, in 80 like, to 90% of the case, they, they want a bit more, right? To get, to get initial traction. But it PR should be for initial traction. But it also depends on how, how complex it is to onboard, right? So like if you're, I mean, this is an enterprise company, you don't want 50 enterprise companies to run to you. You want, you know, four that really go deep with pilots. And when they've done their pilots, then then of course you want 10 more to, to pilot and then you want hundreds. But in the beginning, if you have hundred people who want you to fly to all over the world, like you're not gonna do anything well. So I think it's really, I think we, it's exactly the same for us. When we announced, it was like, we announced because we felt we want startups to see us and founders to see us, but you also of course wants LPs to say, oh, interesting, in a fund, let's go and talk to them. And we, timing-wise, we didn't do the perfect. We did it in June. I think we would have timed it better. We might have done it in September because the world, you know, gets a bit slower during the summer. But I think it was still good. I think that, and I think that some of these announcements, like if you do Sifted or if you're TechCrunch or something, the good thing is that these things, I mean, they're there forever, right? So like people find them and they'll say, oh, you started the fund then, what's going on? That You know, we met people in October and said, oh, I saw you open the fund in June. 
what have you done since? And that was a great conversation, right? Like we were able to describe what we've done since. And I think that the plan is like when we're raising fund two is of course, we're going to go out and talk to our existing LPs. We're going to describe the new strategy and like see what they think. And then we're going to, we have a list of LPs that we wish we would have for fund two. And then we're going to essentially kind of ping them and said, hey, we wish we were in the same boat. You know, what can we do for this? Like it's, it's enterprise sales, right? If they say, I like it, but it's not for us. Then it's like, okay, should we ping you back when we do the fund three? Okay, thank you very much. And then we put them in the CRM. Is there now uh, room for a lot more funds, right? So it's been successful for you, par- partly because you know all the, the elements that you, you talked about, and you're really good at selling, right? Selling your fund, you have the right track record, you all come from a you know operator, and you've been part of funds. So it's it makes the, the deal pretty sweet for LPs. Would you acknowledge that there's still room for a lot more funds? We need a ton of more 100%. capital. And do you think we need a slightly unusual backgrounds to come as fund managers. So people that are more entrepreneurial, that are not investment backgrounds, and LP should just uh, you know pour money at them equally, sort of you know spray across completely different diverse backgrounds. Any I, I any advice def- for them, by the way, to get yeah, to def- get started towards the LPs or towards the GPs? Towards the GPs that I want to stand up like funds. Big, yeah, I think that if you're, I think that generally, if you do a fund, I think the headache is, is like you have to figure out your unique angle. And I think that for me, there are essentially three or four unique angles. There's like one unique angle, which is like you have a ge- geography and you're super local. Like you're saying, like, we're going to be the killer fund in like climate fund in Berlin. We're going to like talk to everybody pre-seed and like we're going to get them before anybody knows anything about them. And then it's like you're the super local, super early stage. So you meet all the founders, you're, you're like, you know, coffee, coffee meetings with founders, probably decaf coffee after a while. And it's going to be, or you're saying like, we are super vertical focused. We only focus on behind the meter uh, markets. And like, that's the big thing we're focusing on. Like, and then we can do all of Europe or whatever, but like, we're very niche. We have a very strong thesis. We have a very strong belief. We might even have industry partners. We might have an LPs. Like we might have utilities and LPs. Like we have a vertical, which we're super, super strong with it. Like crazy strong. And we know we're going to 99% of companies. We're going to say, I'm sorry, you're not behind the meter. We're not going to do it. I'm sorry. This is not for us. That's another way of doing it. I think a third one is that you're just trying to become like the biggest, most famous fund. That I don't think is a good idea at all. Because then you're competing against like Andreessen and Tiger and Index and Atomico. That you're up against a game that you don't want to do. So I think that for me, it always ends up in like either you're hyper local, hyper close, or you're hyper verticalized. And I think those are the two that I think are the best. I think there are always other things you can do. You can do like a quirky setup where you might have some kind of like you can build this community or something. The thing is, those are very, very hard. Uh, they need to be reflected in the fund. So for example, I, I would be okay with somebody saying, we're doing a fund where we're doing 50 to 100K euros in every single climate tech start- startup in Europe that we think are good. And then we're inviting all these founders to all those back group and we're super, super involved. The headache with doing that fund, if you go north of 100K, is you will end up having to do competitive deals. Like, I mean, you will do deals in competitive startups because otherwise they're not going to be enough fish in the sea for you or enough, you know, vegan fish in the sea. So the headache for you is like, you'll have to figure out a way where the founders are saying, yeah, you're only in 100K tickets. This is a community thing. This is a float they'll boat. That's chill. But then of course that has to be reflected in the fund model. That has to be reflected in the structures. So I think that the ones what, which, where they don't working is if you're saying, we're going to be the ultra close, white on rice, first stage ticket, and we're going to do $2 million tickets. And it's like, but that doesn't work. You can't do that. Or we're going to be the first ticket. We're going to cover all of Europe. That won't work because how are you going to find the deals in Edinburgh? So I think that one has to figure out something which is true all the way. Wow. Well, Hempus, we've been talking for for an hour already, and um, it's been it's been super insightful. Definitely, I've only scratched the surface. I feel like I'm, I'm gonna you know welcome you for part two. I would just uh, like to to jump into the the rapid fire round. You know the principle. I'm gonna ask go, go. rapid questions with two options: option A or B. And I would love um, a, a short answer from you. Let's start mm-hmm. with the the first one. If you look at pale blue dot today what are you, what are you better at helping your portfolio or making great investments definitely helping the portfolio now contrarian versus consensus decision looking back which bet paid the biggest dividend so far um like i think that's way too early to say but i would say that i would say def my belief is definitely not contrarian financial home run versus impact home run in which company would you rather invest personally not asking your lps and asking no, no, you no, no, no. 
same same I would say like we're the the hill we're willing to die on is the hill of mass solved a big problem but didn't work financially. Like we would be super sad if like this was a great company financially but it was actually not actually very good for climate or the world. That would be a bad deal. Now, one Tesla versus 100 startups, what is realistically more likely to drive the the most CO2 reduction? So an enormous company uh, you know, with the power law that we know in startups or 100 startups? So this is a slightly longer answer, but I would say I think 100 startups, if it's not in a market where we all super agree that, that that's the problem. So I think that for me, I think Tesla's already proven by like, look at now at the Volkswagens of the world and the Kias of the world. Now, if you look at climate reduction, I think that Volkswagen and Kia and the others are going to prove more valuable the coming 10 years than Tesla. But the thing is, Tesla wouldn't have, without Tesla, Volkswagen wouldn't have done it for another 10 years. So I think that we need the startups to kickstart something and scale it and make it work. But then when you come to scale, I think you always need big companies, corporates and others. I think that the startups, I, I don't, I think that when you're going to remove mass amounts of CO2, you will need the acromittals, like you need the steel industries and the plastic industries of the world to do stuff. I can't see how a startup is going to produce steel or plastics or cement. But a startup will enable one of those companies to do it. And the final question, one enormous fund versus 20 medium funds. What is more likely to drive CO2 reduction and, and positive impact in Europe? Definitely smaller funds. I think the thing is that I don't think there, the thing is there are massive funds that really, really want to invest in climate and in general they want to invest, but they don't want to invest in pre-seed and seed. So the thing is that there's a massive use case for both re returns and impact to have a huge amount of seed and pre-seed funds that do deals and then bring them to the Creandums and Index and Atomicos and General Atlantics and, and recent Horowitz of the world that then can look at this company and say, oh, that's a good company, let's go and let's you know plow in 30, 40, 50 million. I think that I don't think it's a smart idea because at the end of the day, if you're a niche fund, if you're a vertically focused fund or you're close to the metal fund, the thing is the, your job is to translate something from obscure to obvious. Hampus, I love this conversation. <laughs> I love how natural and, and you know all the insights that you have. It's got a bit of a brain dump for us, also for our listeners, uh, we hope. Uh, to conclude this show, for people that would love to work for a great climate tech startup, or even a climate tech VC fund, where would you advise them to look? Oh my God, that seems like, yeah, that's a, it's a great, I, I mean, it's a great question. I, I would say that I think the first thing they should do is they should think about what kind of they want to do themselves. I think that it's like, if, if there, I mean, a lot of people say I want to work in climate, but they don't know, know what they want to do. So I think that I think is the greatest thing. I just met a person last week who said he's going to spend six weeks on thinking what he wants to do and prototype different businesses and different ideas. And then he's going to go out and either found a company or join a company. And I think it's so much more valuable because he now has a, will, well, in four weeks, he will have a formed opinion. So I would say first, try to figure out what you love. And like, it could be anything from small companies to big companies to very financial markets to very kind of, you know, block and tackle markets, whatever. And then after that, I think, of course, Pillbudot has a massive jobs page. You can go to that and check all our startups. I think that joining a fund is horrible. I was saying that you want to be a climate investor. I would say that that's, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard going out there and saying, hey, I want to join a fund. So I it's think horrible that, because, because it's competitive or horrible in the day-to-day operation? No, 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 no. It's horrible because it's competitive. I would okay. say that most people should not run funds. I think that it's like, the, the thing is most people who, th the, generally my rule of thumb is people who want to be investors probably shouldn't be investors. Because I think a lot of people who want to be investors, they're in it for the power game and like the domination and deciding stuff. And that's, probably not what the world needs, but the world needs people who can't stop themselves from doing it. So I think the best, I would want more LPs, more, sorry, more GPs who says, I want to start another company, but I really don't think that's going to help the world. I think I'm just going to start a fund. And then those are the ones I think are going to be way better. And of course, you also need people who are like professional allocators who know how to think about capital allocation. But I think the problem is like a lot of the funds historically have been started by capital allocators and not by people who actually care about the founders and the businesses. So I want more people who care about the founders and businesses to do it. Love it. Let's uh, end the show on this. I, I very interesting views. Thanks so much for being here for this wide ranging conversation and personal insights. It's been fun. And to all of you, thanks for tuning in. Ciao, Hampus. Talk soon. Bye. All right.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Climate Insiders, the leading climate tech podcast in Europe. If you've enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe at climateinsiders.co. Climate Insiders is brought to you by Clementum Capital, a late C to Series A climate tech VC. To learn more about Clementum Capital, apply for funding or become an LP, visit clementum.com.